millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The following program contains adult content and sexual themes. Viewer discretion is advised. And it contains murder. Lots and lots of murder. You stinking bastard. People tell me, hey, you're gonna go die and go to hell. At least I'm not blown. Time for 911. Where's your emergency? Oh, it's a shady. For 31 rooks. Lots of it, Rose. What's the problem? Send the police. Send the police. One in the chest, one in the head. Fired by Detective Sergeant Roger Rogerson. I was uh, branching out. That's when the cannibalism started, eating of the heart and uh, the arm muscle. I'll, I'll wear a nail car with his hands for a coffee table with this and just pull it out of his backside. Carl Williams is a wobbly bottom little cher- cherub face, cherub face little boy who would, who, who would, who, who's, whose life would be. I harm someone each time I. Kill someone to be an enormous amount, uh, especially at first. Uh, enormous amount of uh, horror, guilt, remorse afterwards. But then that impulse to do it again would come back even stronger. Hi, I'm Barney Black. And I'm Tara Saraban. And we do Bloody Murder. We're a comedy true crime podcast focusing on some of the lesser known crime stories from Australia and indeed around the globe. What will you be covering this week, Barney? Well, Tara, I'm going to talk about Rodney Collins, one of Australia's most prolific hitmen, an ugly, mean-hearted little man who mostly killed for greed but was known to do brutal and vicious crimes for pleasure as well. Oh, okay. It was business and pleasure with him. Yeah, yeah. What a sick little fuck. Absolutely. What about you? This week I looked into William Beggs, the so-called limbs-in-the-lock murderer. This case became one of Scotland's most high-profile and gruesome murder investigations after a police diver on a routine training exercise found a bin bag containing a severed forearm and leg. Ooh, gruesome. Very gruesome, actually. Now, of course, this episode is brought to you by our wonderful and generous patrons. If you'd like to become a patron, go to our website for details. That's bloodymurderpodcast.com. Okay, let's get murdery. All right. On December 6th, 1999, police divers on a training course in Scotland happened upon dismembered human limbs in a plastic bag in Loch Lomond. They were not being trained to go on a scavenger hunt for body parts, so this development came as quite a surprise. A full-scale search recovered more bags filled with severed limbs. Earlier the same day, Ian Wallace had called his local police station in Kilmarnock to say that his 18-year-old son Barry was missing. Barry Wallace was a quiet and popular teenager who was working as a shelf stacker at a Tesco supermarket and planning a career in the Royal Navy. His father, Ian Wallace, said he and his mother, Christine, had last spoken with their son on the evening of December 4th. Afterwards, he joined his colleagues for the office Christmas party. 
Um, he drank heavily, which, you know, is kind of a rule at an office mm. Christmas party, right? Oh, absolutely. He probably photocopied his butt. He may well have. I've done that. Really? Absolutely. The old pressed ham. I haven't seen that, but I'm okay with it. You, don't, I, you want to see it? No, I can actually picture it too well. It's it's not okay what happens in my head sometimes. Uh, I don't know about my butt. It's something wrong with it. It's got a crack in it. Oh, God. If <laughs> and a hole. I'm oh, really sorry about God. that. Oh, God. Anyway, get out. 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 I'm right. doing this alone. All right. Um, so, yeah, Barry. Barry had some fun at the Christmas party and was last seen near a taxi depot in Kilmarnock on his way to meet some friends at a nightclub. Um, but he never he never actually arrived to meet no, his friends. No. In a tragic wrong time, wrong place scenario, Barry encountered a sexual predator named William Beggs on the street and the drunk teen was lured back to his apartment. Beggs boasted later of a sexual conquest that night with a sweet young man. When the two men got to Beggs's flat, he punched Barry in the face so hard he fell over. He then handcuffed Barry's arms and legs, jabbed him in the arm with a needle, and sexually assaulted him so violently that medical examiners said the teenager may have died from shock. Wow, that's horrible. Barry Wallace fought for his life with every fibre of his being. A forensic expert told the court that the injuries inflicted by the handcuffs from him struggling to break free of them were the worst that she had ever seen. Well, you could have told me to cover my junk. I just this is this is a dick punch, this one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Well, absolutely. Once Barry was dead, Beggs cut up his body into eight pieces using a saw and a knife and threw the arms and legs in Loch Lomond. He kept Barry's head for two days before dumping it over the side of the Troon to Belfast ferry. That's a fun boat ride for you. Yeah, I guess it was in a bag or something. Oh, you can't well, just yeah. carry a severed head on a ferry, can you? No, no, you have to put it in a plastic shopping bag, and that's exactly what he did. Oh. On December 15th, Margaret Burley came across a plastic bag on the shore while walking her dog along the beach at Barassi. Ah, dog walker. Normally it's a jogger. And it, I guess it didn't look like a mannequin, this one, did it? No, it did not. Yeah. Through a hole in the bag, Mrs. Burley could see it contained a human head. Later on, Barry's father, Ian Wallace, had to identify his dead son by looking at his severed head. Oh, wow. That's, uh, that would have been really traumatic for his family. That's just probably the worst thing you could think of as a parent. Yeah. On December 21st, police raided William Beggs's flat. Authorities say his name had lit up their computer system like a Christmas tree. Oh, this guy's got form, has he? This guy shouldn't have been out at this point to okay. do this horrendous, gruesome stuff. William Frederick Ian Beggs was the eldest of five children from a respected family from Lurgan in Northern Ireland. He had been a member of the Ulster Volunteer Force, but they ordered him out after suspecting he was involved in sex offences. He left Northern Ireland in his late teens to study in England and settled in the North East. Beggs trained in public administration at Teesside Polytechnic and had an interest in politics, becoming regional chairman for the Federation of Conservative Students. Very conservative, this guy. Yeah, I yeah, can see where this is going. But, all the yeah. conservative. Mm. He was on the far right of the Tory party and had connections with the fascist National Front. He was a homosexual man who seemed to hate homosexuals, even joining the anti-gay campaign Save Ulster from Sodomy. 
Really was sodomy threatening Ulster, was it? Yeah. Was it like Godzilla, the giant sodomy monster trying to stamp out Ulster? Mm. Is that what was happening? Yeah, self-hating gay man. It's um, That's not going to end well. Well, it didn't end well. I think we know yeah. that. Um, so Save Ulster from Sodomy uh, was a political campaign launched in 1977 by the Reverend Ian Paisley, who was then leader of the Democratic Unionist Party and Free Presbyterian Church. It was organised to prevent the decriminalisation of homosexuality in Northern Ireland. What a ridiculously archaic notion. Yeah. I mean, it's the late 70s, for God's sake. The 1970s, I might add, not the 18 freaking 70s. This campaign kept the gay at bay for a while, but homosexual acts in Northern Ireland were eventually decriminalised in 1982. Wow, that's Dude, not that long ago. It really isn't. Yeah, let's bring back cockfighting as well. Well, sorry, what's the link? Oh, I just oh, just it's a if we're gonna thing. yeah, let's yeah. let's um let's get rid of penicillin. You know, like yeah. let's just go all the way back, shall yeah, we? Yeah. Beggs withdrew from politics in 1985 after the Anglo-Irish Agreement, which confirmed that there could be no change in the constitutional position of Northern Ireland unless a majority of its people agreed to join the Republic. So I guess he's like anti-Republic and. Anti-sodomy. This guy makes no sense, man. What a prick. Uh, he's just he's just so horrible, and you can tell that he had this like this public facade of being a, a very you know right leaning put together. Yeah, self righteous. Hypocrite. hypocrite yeah. Mm, yeah. No thanks. So behind his far-right political guise, like so many before him, Beggs was a sadistic man with a long history of violence against young men he picked up in gay bars and clubs. What a catch. Yeah, yeah, no. No. No, no. A former lover of his said in an interview that he appeared to hate the fact that he was homosexual and would often turn nasty after sex. In 1987, Beggs was jailed at Teesside Crown Court for the murder of Barry Oldham, a 28-year-old student and barman who had met his killer at Rockshots Gay Nightclub in Newcastle. Oh, so this is another Barry. It's another Barry. Um, oh. This guy could have been nicknamed the Barry Killer. So he killed Barry, and then, but before that, he killed another Barry. He killed another Barry, okay. and he um, he injured someone named Brian as well. So B names are also out. Oh wow, my last name is Black. Your first name is Barney. Oh, you look, might I've, want to keep away I've from this a, guy. Well, yeah, I'm I'm handsome and and young and impressionable. Impressionable. Also, your middle name starts with a B. You bastard. <laughs> what? Ah-ha. Evidence revealed that he'd killed Barry in his flat after they'd had sex. His body was discovered on the North York Moors. Barry's throat had been slashed and Beggs had attempted to cut off his arms and legs, but I guess he didn't have the right equipment with him this time. He had to learn and grow as a killer. Despite Beggs claiming during the trial that he'd acted in self-defence after Oldham had attacked him, he was found guilty of the murder. Now, the Crown applied to try him on a number of wounding charges involving other men alongside the murder charge. The judge at his trial allowed the application, but the Court of Appeal said that he was wrong to have done so. After an appeal hearing in June 1989, his conviction was quashed and Beggs was set free to hunt for more victims. Oh, it was prejudicial that they, they showed those other crimes. I know. Yeah, um, Why couldn't someone not have seen this coming? Like, yeah, that's this right. is devastating. Mm. 
Tony Fitzgerald, the former head of North Yorkshire CID, said, When we caught Beggs all those years ago, we seriously thought we'd caught a serial killer in the making. We thought we were lucky because we'd managed to catch him after his first killing. When his conviction was overturned on appeal, I remember I was quite aghast at what had happened in the light of what we knew about this man. After his release, Beggs moved north, but his horrendous violent impulses moved there with him. Several men told police that they suffered horrifying ordeals during encounters with Beggs during the late 90s, but he managed to avoid another conviction. You know, um, the police weren't always great with this sort of thing and would see it as like a lover's quarrel or something. Oh, yeah, that was happening in Australia as well at the time. I can't believe yeah. it's so recent, but it's just so archaic, you know? Yeah, they've got, with, with Victorian police, they've got a gay and lesbian liaison now, and so if there's any crime involved, they have one of those attached to it. Yeah, um, look, I believe that's happening it, in, that's, yeah. in the UK as well. Yeah, and it's actually making a difference. Good. Yeah. In 1991, uh, he was jailed for six years at the High Court in Kilmarnock for a razor attack on a young man named Brian McQuillan. The pair had met each other in a gay club in Glasgow. The attack on Brian took place at Beggs's house in Kilmarnock. Brian said that he'd fallen asleep after a sexual encounter with Beggs and woke up to find him cutting into him with a straight razor. Oh, horrifying. The pain that I felt was something I'd never experienced before, he recalled. And he said that he leapt from the bed and grabbed Beggs by the wrists. He said that Beggs was completely calm. He was a completely different person from when I met him earlier. His eyes were vacant. There was nothing there. All he kept saying was, come back to bed. Everything will be okay. Things will be over soon. You've made me do this. At that point, I knew there was no way that I was getting out of there alive. Brian, who was naked at the time, decided his only way out was to jump through a closed plate glass window. When Brian jumped through the window, he thought he was jumping to his death. I never expected that I would survive it. It was not a concern to me. It was almost an acceptance. This is the end, but at least if I go this way, then people will know and this man will be caught. Although cut up and severely injured, Brian was able to get help from passers-by and survive the ordeal. Despite survivor Brian McQuillan going public to warn others that Beggs would strike again, he was released in 1994 after serving only three years. Three years for attempted murder? Yes. that's got to be attempted murder. I would imagine so, yeah. Uh, well, especially considering he's killed someone under similar circumstances before. Yeah, they've got to be on their radar. He's got to be on their radar. Yeah, he is. He lights up like a Christmas tree. Yeah. The computer system does anyway. Yeah. After this incident, his neighbours tried to have him evicted, but Beggs bought his council flat and installed security lights and a video camera so he could monitor the entire street. He wasn't moving for shit. In 1999, Beggs was working for a call centre in Edinburgh and studying for a doctorate in computer technology at Paisley University. He also lectured there and at De Montford University in Milton Keynes. After the December 4th rape, murder and dismemberment of Barry Wallace, Beggs had worked hard to cover his tracks. He even redecorated his flat and pulled up the carpets. But forensic experts found more than 20 bloodstains, including a smear of Barry Wallace's blood on a kitchen knife. Yeah, I bet they covered that flat in luminol. And it lit up like yet another Christmas tree. Yet another Christmas tree, yes. Yeah, apparently there was a lot of different other men's blood found there too. Oh. Well, yeah. I guess a lot of men wouldn't report it, would they? 
some some were just injured. Yeah. Do they think that he's killed more? No, no, they don't. But they they know that he's attacked a lot of people. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, he's very violent. Beggs was not at home at the time, having stayed in Edinburgh overnight after a party. Someone invited this prick to a party. Well, it wasn't me. No, it wasn't me either. Come over, Beggs. Let's have some fun. When he heard about the investigation on the radio, he fled the country like a pissy bitch. An international manhunt was launched. That's the best kind of manhunt. International? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. That sounds exhausting. I prefer to keep it local. Um, An international manhunt was launched, and two weeks later, Beggs was arrested in Amsterdam. They were like, we don't fucking want him. No. Get out of our place. No, they would have fitted him with some concrete clogs and... Clogs. Concrete clogs and tossed him over the side of a ferry. Oh, a dike. Yeah, actually. With some tulips behind him and a windmill. That's exactly what happened. All the racial stereotypes of Holland. I am really sorry. My Dutch friend Maritz will be so pleased with you. I'm apologising to the entire Netherlands. Okay, sorry, Netherlands. You kicked them in their Netherlands region. I did. He tried very hard to fight extradition to Scotland to stand trial, but in September of 2000, a panel of Dutch judges ruled that he should be sent back. Kicked in the ass with the clogs he was. Yeah, good. He eventually appeared in a Scottish court on January 10, 2001. The trial began in September that year. William Beggs, who was 38 at the time, was found guilty by majority verdict after a 17-day trial of killing Barry Wallace. The trial judge, Lord Osborne, sentenced him to life and said Beggs should serve a minimum term of 20 years. Nice one, Lord Osborne. I know. I don't know. He'll be 58. I reckon he'll still be lethal, this one. Yeah. He said it had been the most distressing of cases and appalling of offences. Speaking at a news conference in Glasgow, Ian Wallace said, Our Barry was a normal, healthy, fun-loving teenager whose only mistake in this whole sordid episode was to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and fall prey to this monster, a mistake which cost him his life. Mm, Awful. Oh, it really is. What a family, yeah. So Beggs continues to be a nightmare douchebag from behind bars. He's always filing lawsuits against someone. Last month, he went to court in a bid to get himself a personal computer in his cell after prison authorities had turned down his request. Um, He's sued prison several times for breach of human rights because his mail has been opened. Somehow, he successfully fought a legal battle to be removed from the sex offenders register. But he's in jail for rape and and murder. murder. Yeah, but I don't want to be on that register. That doesn't seem fair. His personal legal aid expenses have cost the taxpayers approximately £900,000 over the years. That's a lot of pounds. That's a lot of pounds. So he just sits in his cell thinking up new ways to create trouble for people. Uh, vexatious litigant, I He's think is the term. fully yes. vexatious and a litigant, and I don't care for him at all. Uh, Leave our Barrys alone. Yeah, that's right. Oh, the Barry killer, hey? Yeah. Mm, I got wow. no love for that Barry killer. I'm glad he's behind bars. Yeah, I know. So that so that Baz Henderson from Extraordinary Stories won't be in danger. No, we can't have him in danger. I know. Or you. You got a B name? Though his dog would probably look after him. What's his dog? I can't again? remember, but his dog would save him. Yeah. And Barry Humphreys, you gotta gotta be careful for him too, you know. Yeah. I'm not so much a fan of Barry Humphreys. Barry White? Oh, well, he's already dead. Well, you know, zombie Barry White. Oh, I love him. I'm looking out for him. <laughs> I want him to stay safe. Wow, what a what a story. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So, Barney Black, do you have some murder tales for me? I do. I know, and I've heard a bit about this rat face little fucker. I want to know more. Uh, It's a scorcher of a tale. Scorcher. Do it. Corker. Jump right in. Jump into the murder pool. Jump into the murder pool? Yeah, take your top off, love, and jump into the murder pool. All right. So, Tara, some of the murderers we've discussed who, despite possessing the wilfulness to commit brutal and savage crimes, can be quite charming, quite affable. Yeah, that's true about some of them. Yeah. Rodney Charles Collins is not one of them. No. He is a cruel, vile, greedy little fuck pig, and yes, I'm holding back. (laughs) I, I, I can hear that in your voice. Also, didn't you try to nickname me fuck pig at one point? Uh, yeah, I did. That didn't stick. Like all the really, all of the nicknames I try and give you don't it stick. It was still better than Suddenly Susan. I yeah. still don't know why you tried that on. They say beauty is only skin deep, but for Rodney Collins, who made the Grim Reaper look like a supermodel, <laughs> ugliness went all the way to the bone. He was bad inside and out. Was he bad? He was very bad. Rodney, also known as the Duke, the Fox, Cherokee and Uncle, was involved in at least 10 murders. So no one else called him Fuck Pig? No. Okay. And was also rumoured to be part of an armed robbery team that killed a security guard. Right. Nasty piece of work. All right. I believe you've put your toe in the pool. Now it's time to dive right in. And have a bit of a paddle. While many Australian gangsters have become household names, Rodney worked in the shadows and has remained mostly anonymous. Bad boy. Um, (laughs) Well, it's hard to market a face like that, right? But there is not a crim in Victoria who didn't know of the vicious hard man Rodney Collins. But no one is born evil, and everyone's narrative has certain plot points that shape what kind of human they will become. Rodney Charles Collins entered the world on August 30, 1948, and was raised by loving grandparents until the age of eight. On that day, in a twist of fate that would doom the boy to a life of crime and murder, he was returned to his abusive and alcoholic parents. This was when everything changed for little Rodney. An innocent and happy childhood was over, to be replaced by constant violence. That is so terrible that he was in a situation where he got taken out of a good home yeah. and, and put in, well, what sounds like a pretty vile one. Yeah, it certainly was a sliding doors moment for him. Yeah, I wonder what would have happened if this, you know, he got to stay with his lovely grandparents. Yeah, well, we'll never know, I guess. We probably wouldn't have heard of him and, and that would have been for the better. Yeah. At age 14, Rodney finally stood up to his brute of a father and walked out. His dad didn't care. His answer to that was to reveal he was not his real father. Oh, my God, he did the reverse Darth Vader? Yeah, it's a terrible parting blow. I know, but maybe it's a good thing if your dad's just an absolute ass. Yeah, I'm not your real dad. Don't hit your ass on the door on the way out kind of thing. Yeah, ow. Hmm. Alone on the rough streets of Richmond in the 1960s, Rodney fell in with local gangs and earned his first criminal conviction as a teenager. In 1960, he was charged with indecent language over a telephone. Oh, wow. 
Uh, so many people could be accused of that, I've got to say. <clears throat> in my last phone call to you, I'd, I'd actually <laughs> say, in 1962 and 1963, he was charged with offensive behaviour and fined five pounds. Because we, you know, pre-1966, we had our um, the pounds and the pence. Yeah, that's a lot of pocket money for a homeless boy. In 1964, he was caught with a knuckle duster oh. and fined 20 pounds. Oh, he probably had to sell the knuckle duster to pay the fine. Well, that was taken off him. Ah, oh, damn. Yeah. I mean, sorry, actually, that's a good thing. He was probably doing damage with it, right? He was also charged a few times that year with offensive behaviour and indecent language and fined 10 pounds. I guess I'm glad the fining thing's over. It's like a swear jar, but it's like society's swear jar. Yeah. In 1965, he was charged with insufficient means and fined 20 pounds. So you've got no money, so give me 20 pounds. We're going to fine you money for having no money. That's Yeah, it's cruel, fining someone for not being able to afford stuff. Yeah, um, that's terrible. That year, there were also two charges of assault with a weapon. Ah, uh, see that? That makes sense. Probably not a knuckle duster. In 1965, he was charged with the rape and abduction of a female under 18. He got a piddly one year in jail for that. A year? A year. A whole year? Yeah. For, well, a woman that... Oh, a girl. A, <laughs> yeah. uh, sometimes I just think about things and I want to cry. In 1966, police nabbed him for wounding with intent to do grievous bodily harm. This added another six years to his sentence. Oh, well, it's obviously more important than rape. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it was the 60s. In the eyes of the law is what I'm clearly saying. Please don't think I mean anything else by that. In 1970, four years later, he was out. Ah, hooray! Society welcomed him with open arms. He may have been short and thin with sunken features, but what he lacked in an imposing physique was made up for in speed and brutality. Rodney also learned that with a gun in your hand, you're much bigger than anyone. A woman who knew Rodney at the time described him like this. Rodney was about five foot seven, grotty looking, unkempt. He had wiry build with drawn features. He was always scowly and always had a mean look in his face. I thought he always had a mean spirited vibe about him. Sounds like she was onto something. Yeah, that Tinder profile writes itself, yeah, doesn't it? It really does. Uh, his seventies rap sheet included assaulting police, driving at dangerous speed, indecent language, assaulting more police, willful damage, theft, unlicensed driving, marijuana possession more unlicensed driving, and assaulting even more police. Right, okay. He really didn't like the coppers, did no, he? No, he was quite happy to assault them. Yeah, what's the colour of a two-cent piece? Copper. Copper. <laughs> At least it was here. Oh, copper's up. Oh. <laughs> we can't say that C word, can we? Oh, coppers, I can't say that C word. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow none of these violated his parole and he didn't spend any time in jail in the 1970s. Hang on a second, how does none of that violate your parole? Well, the catch, kiss and release policy of Australia's justice system was about to cost 10 people their lives. Oh, that's a bitch in hindsight, ain't it? It is. In 1982, Slimy Rodney started his murder-for-hire business. Oh, I bet he had amazing business cards. <laughs> his first contract was a shooting of Brian Kane, which we did cover in episode 59, but I I'll remember. give you a quick recap on that one. Brian Kane was the eldest of the criminal Kane brothers. In November 1979, Brian Kane had killed Ray Chuck Bennett in a Melbourne courthouse. It was a brazen murder. You remember that one? I do. It was kind of crazy that it, he 
did it even happen, considering he's in a corner? Yeah, he got away with it too. Um, that had parts of the Melbourne underworld fuming, and now there was a contract out on him. Who better than Mad Dog Rodney Ratface Collins to carry it out? As Brian Kane sat down for a gin and tonic at the Quarry Hotel in our hometown of Brunswick in Melbourne... It's just up the street. It really is. Two men wearing balaclavas burst in with thirty-eight snub-nosed revolvers. Brian grabbed his gun, but was not fast enough. That's because he kept it in his lady friend's purse. This is why, men, maybe don't put all your stuff in your lady friend's purse. Maybe get a man bag. Get your own purse. Get a man bag and save a life. That's what I say. He was shot in the head and chest at point-blank range and died on the operating table at the Royal Melbourne Hospital. Although uh, rat-faced uh, Rodney was investigated, no one was ever charged. Yeah, people don't talk about this guy. Everybody knew. Everybody knew he did it. It's yeah. a small... Well, it was certainly a small place then. Yeah. There was a $100,000 reward on offer in that case, but to some, even that amount of cold, hard cash wasn't enough compensation for getting on Rodney's bad side. I don't think he had any side but a bad side. Oh, yeah. His bed was right up against three walls somehow, and he got out of bed on the wrong side every day. The bad side. Mm Mm-hmm. Rodney and his accomplice, notorious bank robber and hitman Russell Cox, had gotten away with it. Rodden Cox. Cox. Oh, Rodden Cox. Yeah, it's two dick names. It is two dick names. They're the dick name twins. Like Peter O'Toole. He's got a double (laughs) dick name. He does, but there's a bit of class with that O and the apostrophe. Yeah, I guess there is. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Maybe I should add an apostrophe. You definitely. Barney Black. Barney Bastard Black. Black. (laughs) B-Lack? Or Be Gone. (sighs) In February 1983, Rodney was living in Reservoir in Melbourne's north. One night he heard a party going on across the street and decided to invite himself. This is not going to go well. Yeah. All seemed to go well at first until <laughs> Rodney all of a sudden turned on a young Irishman too drunk to sense danger. Okay. The rare drunk Irishman. I was going to say, like, blood-wise, I am mostly Irish and I refuse to believe that any Irish person has ever been drunk because we're not like that. Yeah, I think you protest too much. Yeah, I think I'm half cut right drunk now. now yeah. <laughs> the shooting was witnessed by several guests, but even the survivor, host Ronald Longmuir, claimed at first he did not know his attacker. Six months later, he told police a different story. The party had been going on for many hours. Rodney and his girlfriend lived across the road, but by the time they arrived, many of the guests had gone. But the beer was still flowing, and Longmuir would later say, I'd had me share, I wouldn't say I was blind. Yeah, but Aussies never think they're blind. <laughs> uh, I'm a drunk. Perfectly all right. Okay, this is fine to do everything. <laughs> You're drunk. Why are you saying yeah. and accusing me of that? Five dollars, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> he told police he was sitting in his rocking chair. While oh, rocking chair, hipster doofus. <laughs> yeah, he was sitting in his rocking chair, stroking <laughs> his beard and smoking his pipe. <laughs> He'd ridden home on a penny farthing bicycle. Yeah, well, he'd just been to the Apple store. <laughs> he had. He'd polished a few before he bought one. Well, he was sitting in his rocking chair doing all those things mm-hmm. while Rodney was standing near the fireplace. Longmuir's friend, Patrick Brendan Coglan, known as Brendan, arrived with half a dozen stubbies. Oh, I guess he wasn't planning on staying long. I guess he wasn't. Mm-hmm. A stubby is a, sh- a short bottle of it's beer. It's approximately 375 millilitres. Well, it's exactly that, actually. Well, it depends on the stubby. Oh, really, does. Mm-hmm. You're right. So they chatted about fishing. Don't question me on my beer stubby knowledge because I am absolute. Well, they chatted about fishing, all right? Okay. Tell me about fishing. I 
I don't get shit about fishing. I went fishing as a child and the last time I did it, I went to um, cast off or whatever the fuck you call it. And a, my dog had bit on the hook and eaten the bait and the hook got stuck in its tongue. Fuck. And then I had to walk four miles with my dog to the vet's place because we didn't have a car or, I don't know, shoes or pretty much anything. I like that you said cast off. That's what you do when you're on a boat. I don't know. Uh, I, I I was done with fishing after that. I really? can tell you. Well, you caught a dog. Yeah, I know, but it was a dog I already had, and it seemed okay with it. Actually, it didn't seem too perturbed that it had like a fishing hook stuck in its mouth. Oh wow! Yeah, it was. It wasn't a good scene, and it turned out okay though. Did Bella, you eat the Bella dog? was fine. Did you eat the dog with a serve of chips? <laughs> no, I did not. With a slice of lemon. And quite frankly, I'm offended that you would even say that. Yeah, sorry. Knowing how uh, I feel about dogs. You do like dogs. In fact, our entire legal team is comprised of dogs. Sausage dogs. <laughs> uh, the next thing I remember was seeing Rodney put his right hand into his trouser pocket, Longmuir told police. He then pulled something out from his pocket, which was small and black. It was not Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> Right. Oh, you know what? I, I wish it was. He could have sung a song and everything would have been fine. Oh, his rendition of The Candyman, it's... it's Quite remarkable. It's quite remarkable. Um, so anyway, back to Longmuir. He said, I then felt a thud in the thigh of my left leg like I'd been hit with a sledgehammer. And then he described hearing his friend's cries as he fell to the floor. This is Brendan. I then remember Brendan saying to me, Ronnie, Ronnie, the bastard has shot me in the guts. The day after Longmuir came clean to police, they arrested Rodney. He was already their top suspect anyway, Tara. Well, pretty much any crime that goes down on his street, he's going to be the top suspect. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's got form. And he's probably done it too. So they went to get him. The special operations group smashed through a window in his house to arrest him. The window had been covered with a plastic film, which delayed the arrest team. So I don't know, for protection... You know, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure why you would have that. Um, maybe so when visitors sat on it, they didn't leave mud. See, maybe, that doesn't work the same maybe, as a plastic couch maybe, cover. You know the, when you get a bad tint job on your oh, windows of like your car? a shitty tint job. And it goes yeah, all bubbly and stuff? Yeah, like bad your, contact. Yeah. <laughs> plastic book covering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. Uh, yeah, well, uh, all the criminals listening should get themselves some of that. Well, yeah, you know, the beginning of the school year, cover your books. Cover your windows. Cover your windows. That's what we say. Later, police found a loaded revolver near the window with bullets in the cylinder dented by the firing pin. Tests showed the gun was faulty and that Rodney had tried to fire rounds at the police through the windows before throwing the weapon to the other side of the room and giving up. Well, that makes sense. He's been assaulting police for years. It's kind of his thing. When asked by Homicide Squad detectives if he had fired at police, all he would say was, I didn't know it was you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, open up, please. Uh Police, don't move. Better shoot at it. (laughs) Is that Ken? I don't like him. But a jury never got the chance to hear any of it. The case collapsed after Longmuir died from complications from his gunshot wound. Rodney Collins did, however, spend three months in jail that year for possession of an unlicensed firearm with a silencer. Rodney the Duke Collins was a suspect in the disappearance and presumed killing of underworld figure Lawrence Joseph Prendergast in 1985. Prendergast, who was acquitted of the 1978 murder of former painter and docker Les Kane, Uh that's Brian Kane's brother, yes, it's all linked, disappeared after expressing fears for his safety. 
Not overly surprising then. Well-founded fears, I would say. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's not paranoia if they are out to get you. So moving right along, in 1987, Rodney murdered Ramon Abbey and his wife Dorothy. Rodney took Abbey to a shed at the back of his own property and shot him three times in the head. What was the motive here? I think it was robbery. Oh, okay. Was he, he was a drug dealer. Oh, around. okay. Um, yeah. Just before he died, Abby yelled out Rodney's name. That shriek doomed his wife to the same fate. She was oh, in the house. Oh, so sh- that meant that she knew what was happening. Yeah. Rodney calmly walked back into the house to kill Dorothy Abbey, who was shot twice in the head and had her throat cut. The couple's three young children were in the bedroom next door. Oh, my God. What happened to the old school gangster guys who only took it out on their own, you know, and they left everyone else out of it? Yeah, that's right. Um, kind of miss those guys. There's quite a few murders here that he does that he's just killed witnesses. Right. Okay. So he's got no scruples whatsoever. No. And no, like, moral code, I guess. Well, he doesn't kill any of the kids, though. That's something, I guess. Yeah. He just dooms them to a life of being fucked up from discovering their parents' bodies. Thanks, Rodney. Um, Thanks, Rodney. Society appreciates your efforts. When asked why he'd killed her, Rodney replied, dead men tell no tales. God, so he's into cliches as well. Yeah. This guy. Mark McConville, Rodney's accomplice, made a terrible mistake that day. He took a Rolex watch from the scene of the horrific double murder. If that wasn't bad enough, he began wearing it around. Isn't that just like crim 101 that you don't do that shit? Yeah. It was the only real evidence linking him to the killings of Ramon and uh, Dorothy Abbey, and Rodney could not afford to have police connecting McConville to him. Rodney Collins and McConville had used stolen police uniforms and a fake warrant to gain access to the house. Ooh. They left disappointed when they had to kill Abby before they'd gotten the drug dealer to open his safe. Right. Oh, they were a bit disappointed, were uh, they? Oh, they killed a couple of people and left their children orphans. Bit disappointed with their day, were they? Well, yeah, maybe that's why he took the watch. Yeah, I'm so bummed by how bummerish this day is. I'm going to need to be able to tell the time constantly and in a fancy way. Well, Tower, police caught up with McConville, but the 25-year-old refused to give up the man he knew as Uncle. McConville stood trial and was found guilty, but still did not dob in Rodney. Didn't dog. Right. Well, there's some kind of ethics going on there, but I can't say I agree with them. He was found guilty, but um, he was released after a retrial cleared him of the killings. Ah, there we go. There we go. Rodney never missed a chance to berate him about the watch or remind him of the consequences of lagging on him. McConville's girlfriend recalled meeting Rodney in the early 1990s. He had a gun tucked into the front of his jeans, which he made very obvious by pulling his jacket across. He leant right into my face and said, Do you understand that you have not met me? You don't know me, and I was never here. That's how I introduced myself to most people at the podcast awards recently. (laughs) You really did, didn't you? (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. To McConville, he raged, If you ever give me up for the Abbey Blue, and I get done for it, I know how I would get you. Oh, okay. What's his plan? The girlfriend remembered Rodney saying he would kill McConville's mother as that was the only way to get at him because he didn't have kids or a wife or stuff. She must have been relieved by that. Like, oh, so if we're not married, you're not going to come after me. Oh, thank God. Let's live in sin, baby. McConville kept his trap shut. Good. Wisely, (laughs) I would say. For the sake of his loved ones. Yes. In 1988, Rodney was suspected of being involved in a failed hold-up of a bank where a security guard was shot and killed. I think he did a lot more robberies too, suspected of a lot more. uh, Yeah, look, it sounds like his kind of deal. Yeah. 
Early on a Sunday morning in 1990, Rodney killed 44-year-old drug dealer Michael Chevella and his 36-year-old wife Heather McDonald. The couple's hands were bound and their throats cut. Their children, aged eight and nine, were at home and the killers tied them up in their rooms. Oh, how terrifying for them. They were left to discover their parents' bodies. Okay, so that's some lives ruined. Chevella and McDonald had been tortured in their St Andrews home before having their throats slashed in what appeared to be a drug rip-off. No one was ever charged with their murders. Oh, wow. So those kids are never going to get a sense that justice was served. Yeah. In 1992, Fuckface Rodney was charged with rape. He got four years for that. Oh, well, you know, it's better than one year, I guess. In 1998, he was charged with cultivating cannabis, for which he received a suspended sentence. Well, that's understandable. He doesn't really have much of a record. No, Um, they'd be just like, oh, well, it's almost like a first offence, Rodney. (laughs) In 2000, Rodney caused a ruckus when he tried his hand at a smash-and-grab robbery. Fail. 18 months in the big house for that one. Right, so still longer than the first rape. Yeah. In 2004, Rodney Rat Cunning Collins was suspected of executing police informer Terry Hodson and his wife Christine at their queue home. They had been shot dead and their dogs had been bashed. Oh my God, did he kill the dogs? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, but the people though, that fucking sucks. Yeah. Sorry. I, just, I know you concentrate on the dog stuff. I know. Stuff. I can't help it. I know there's a lot of people out there This like guy that. should have been in witness protection. Apparently he refused it, but they should have had someone on on his door or something. Well, he, was he like an obvious target? Oh, yeah. It was just months before Terry Hodson was due to give evidence in a criminal trial against former dirty Victorian drug squad detective Paul Dale. Now, um, the Paul Dale story is quite a big one, and I'd like to do yeah. a podcast on that. Uh, you know, in the coming weeks. I know. The way you do your stories, it's almost like you everyone gets to collect a piece and then put it together with all this yeah. like Melbourne Underworld stuff. Melbourne Underworld, it's it's bigger than the Marvel Universe. It's, <laughs> yeah, uh, and actually all... more interesting to me anyway. Yeah, but there, there's so many moving pieces, but I like to concentrate on just one person at a time. At a time yeah. You know? Even though some of their stories will... will oh, they all yeah, overlap eventually. Overlap. Exactly. So, yeah, Terry Hodson um, and his wife, Christine, their daughter, Nicola, told media, Dad said he was a dead man walking, but I don't think he thought Mum would be killed too. Right. So sad. So did he put, like, orphaning children on his resume? Oh, it's on his business card. Oh, it should be. You know, with a bullet point, orphaning children. Yeah. Key witnesses whacked. Uh, Assaulting police. Assaulting police. Right, okay. Knuckle dusters tested. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So Rodney was later charged with this, but the trial was abandoned after the police key witness was beaten to death in Barwin Prison. And who was that key witness, you asked, Tara? I believe that he had a wobbly bottom. It was none other than crime kingpin fat boy Carl Williams. Uh-huh. So um, we did a full episode on Carl Williams, episode 53. Oh, that was a ripper. The Carl Williams story is like, what? So just to remind you, our listeners, Cunty Carl was serving a minimum of 35 years for four murders and drug offences. He was desperate to cut a deal with police and made a series of statements over the Hodson killings, finally claiming he was a middleman who handed over $150,000 from former policeman Paul Dale to kill Hodson. Williams said in his statement, Rod Collins was always asking for work and I thought he might do it. Rob was in the back of my mind as someone I could use for a job like this. Well, he sounds perfect for it, really. Can I please have some more KFC? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, cunt. Yeah. 
As a result of Carl's confessions, Rodney and Paul Dale were charged. But when Carl Williams saw the, the wrong end of an exercise bike stem... Oh, and he um, saw it a lot when he got pummeled to death with it. He really did. In April 2010, the case against the two collapsed. Oh, wow. They will just make anyone disappear, won't they? Yeah, that's right. Fun fact, Tara. <laughs> really? Just months before the Hodsons were bound and shot dead in their Q home... Rodney Collins was given a community-based order for being a prohibited person in possession of a firearm. He had a loaded semi-automatic pistol in his car as he drove through Melbourne's eastern suburbs. Ah, and with his record, they were just like, oh, that's cool. They gave him a kiss on the cheek and a strawberry milkshake and sent him on his way, did they? That's exactly what happened. Oh, I bet he loves strawberry milkshakes. In February 2006, it is believed that Rodney killed Carlton crew identity Mario Condello outside his lavish Brighton home. Sleazy lawyer Mario was an enemy of Carl Williams and Tony Mockbell, who supposedly put a hit out on him. Yeah, those guys were always trying to whack each other. No, not in a nice way. There's a nice way to whack someone? (laughs) I've yet to see it. (laughs) Fun fact, Tara. (laughs) Really? More fun facts? Around that time, Rodney was living with a lady who just happened to be the mother of Tony Mockbell's lover, Danielle Maguire. I feel like you need to make a Melbourne underworld board game. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. So many pieces, so many cards that you could draw. Well, there was a chopper board game. I know, but we never got to play it. No, it's quite rare. Hard to find. If anyone has one, please send pics. He um, had so many like um, failed business ventures, chopper, trying to cash in on his name. Oh, I know. And some successful ones. If you want to buy Chopper wine, you currently can. You currently can. That's true. Finally, in 2008, police close in on dickface Rodney Collins. <sighs> and he is charged with the 1987 murder of Ramon Abbey and his wife, Dorothy. When police broke down the door, they found a loaded handgun, a balaclava, a burglary kit, night vision goggles, a box set DVD of My Little Pony. Oh, makes sense. And some surveillance equipment in his Northcote home. They also found a 58-page confidential police report on a major drug dealer. How the hell did he get his hands on that? I think he had some dirty cops. Oh, he must have had some dirty cops. It's the right era for it, and it would explain why he keeps walking from all of these charges that would put anyone else away for years. Yeah. The following year, he was sentenced to life with a minimum of 32 years. Who fucking Ray? Yeah, Um, finally. God, it took so long. I'm not even sure how happy I can be about it. Hey, Tara, fun fact. Oh, God, there's more. When he finally had to come to terms with a light behind bars, Rodney was forced to say goodbye to his pet parrot that he had taught to say, I hate coppers and not guilty. He had a pet parrot. Yeah. I hate coppers, not guilty. Really? <laughs> Are you sure you didn't make that up? No, it's, it, it, it's actually true. Uh, the, the thing that the pet store owners don't tell you when you buy a parrot yeah. is they live for 90 years. 90. Yeah. Nine zero, 90 Nine, years. 90 years. So if I got a parrot now, it would yeah. outlive me by quite a lot. So if you you taught your parrot to say cunt balls, it's going to be saying cunt that. Cunt balls. For, it's going to be saying that for the next 90 years. Hey, okay. Uh, behind bars, a feared mercenary had now become a target. He was unpopular with other prisoners. Oh, you can't sit with us. That's right. Yeah, it was like mean girls all over again. Well, they believed rat-faced Rodney was actually a dog. I wish he was a dog. Dogs are nice. Who would sell his own mother to reduce his sentence or get better conditions. Okay, yeah, that kind. All right. In November 2011, CCTV footage from Barwon Prison showed Rodney being manhandled rather roughly by another inmate. Oh. 
He later appeared with two black eyes. His explanation that he'd fallen in the shower wasn't fooling anybody. I walked into two doors at once. Two doorknobs. Yeah. Oh, okay. So someone actually like gave him some bifo for the shit he'd done. Yeah. I mean, you know, violence well, dogging, is never the answer. Dogging on other, on, on other. Oh, right. Yeah. There. It's not about all the heinous shit he did. It's just how much he dobbed, right? That's right. Right. Okay. Sorry. Yes. I, my brain wasn't ready. So uh, prison authorities moved him into virtual isolation for his protection. So Rodney Collins spent his last years in solitary, 23 hours a day, alone in a cell. Solitary confinement is really like an epic version of making a kid yeah. sit in the naughty corner. Just think about it? what you've done. So you sit in that cell and think about what you've done. That's right. Well, you know what? For a guy like this, that sounds that sounds really appropriate. On May 10, 2018, just last week. Oh, yeah, it was. Rodney Collins died of natural causes in a prison hospital aged 72. Cancer got the cunt. And uh, not a second too soon. And taking to his grave key secrets that could have solved a series of high-profile murders, including the Hodson double execution. So, Tara, do you think he will be missed? <laughs> I really don't think so. I don't think so. But, you know, if you're going to die in jail, uh, why not maybe, I don't know, talk? It's not like they're going to put you in jail. You're going to die anyway. Like, you may as well give some closure to people. But I understand that's not how he, he had, thought. He had lots of talks with police. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, he, was in the, he was negotiating with them to get better conditions. All right, to get better conditions. But maybe he would have given up something that might have helped give closure to the families Well, that's victims. right. And there's a lot of other murders he's suspected of that I haven't even mentioned yet. <laughs> well, no, we don't have all day. And also, he spoke to other crims, so he knew about a lot of other murders too. Right, okay. The Hodson's daughter, Nikki, said Rodney Collins's death came as good news. I don't blame her Fair for that. Enough. It's a shame he was not convicted because I believe he was involved with my parents' murders. How could he hold on to that information and not do the right thing? Yeah. I hate to think what their final moments were like. After all these years, it still feels exactly the same as if it happened yesterday. I was happy to hear he had died because it means he can't hurt other families like he's hurt ours and those of God knows who else he's murdered. But I'm also sad because I do believe justice was not served. It was just a job for him. He has no soul and the world is a better place without him, she added. Hear, hear. Yeah, amen, Nikki. Yeah. You nailed it, girl. Yeah, she sure did. Wow. How many more of these guys are left in Melbourne? As in for you to talk about. I've got a few. Yeah, it sounds like there's an endless supply of these like ratty little career criminals that kill everybody. Yeah, yeah. The Sydney scene was um, maybe about 10 years earlier too, and that was quite frightening oh, as well. Oh, epic. Hmm. Yeah, wow. So it's like I'm going to be a professional criminal and just fuck everyone who accidentally somehow gets caught up in my shit. I'll put some photos up on our, um, on our Facebook page and, uh, yeah, he was a horrible, sleazy-looking, weaselly, rat-faced little fucker. Um, I look he forward to he, that. He looks bad um, and scary. Interested to see that. Also, we're going to be putting these up on our Facebook page instead of in the Facebook group because we're trying something new. So yeah. if you want to have a look at these, check out Bloody Murder's podcast or Bloody Murder Pod Facebook page, not the group. Yeah, just Google it. You'll find it. You will indeed. You will indeed. So um, I think I need a little bit of cheering up after that. I think I've got the, the exactly the right thing for you. Do you like stories about poo and jogging? Oh, wow. This sounds like one of those Aussie asses. It's I, totally I, an Aussie as. What is an Aussie as? 
oh man, I'm going to get this tattooed on your forearm and then I'm going to hit you in the head with it. Aussie has a tales of criminal stupidity with a quintessentially Australian flavour. Would you like to hear one? Sure, I've got time. <laughs> Excellent, let's do it. Residents of an apartment block in the Brisbane suburb of Greenslopes say they've been tormented for a year by a mysterious man repeatedly doing a poo on their private property. The I'm glad we've got a pop guard. <laughs> yeah, I'm fucking pilled about it too. Please, please tell me his name is Percy or... <laughs> Percy the Pooer. The anonymous man has been jogging by the block three times a week and going up a path like clockwork in the early morning and stopping to take a shit on it. Well, it's, you have to do it at the same time every day, you know. It's... I don't think that's a thing. Isn't it? No. Yeah. They estimate he's unloosed his caboose on the property over 30 <laughs> times in the last year. Unloosed his caboose? He I unloosed like his caboose. Oh, I like that. So he laid some cable? <laughs> he laid some cable. He grew a tail. He dropped the kids off at the pool. Oh, wow. The residents joined forces and... And set up a night vision camera in the hopes of unmasking the unneighbourly shitter. And oh. last week, just like literally last week, they struck some gold. Really? Yeah. Um, so a resident named Steve uh, has this to say about it. Oh, one of the neighbours set up a night camera and got a few images. And so we had a time he was doing it. So then I uh, decided to go and wait with a camera. And I was there a few mornings. And then last Friday, I got him. All right. Uh-huh. I love this story. Oh, it gets better. There's a red light which goes on before the camera's flash goes off, and he saw that and looked at me as the photograph was taken. Oh, wow. <laughs> then he just said, hello. <laughs> I noticed you've got that photo there in front of you. Can, you just, can I just have a look at that? <laughs> it's oh, not here. Have a look oh at the laptop. Oh, my God. They blurred his face, but you can just see. And they blurred his bottom. Oh. So the photo shows a grey-haired man with his shorts pulled down, bending over, doing a poo, while clutching a length of toilet paper in his hands and looking at the camera. Well, in the direction. You can't see his yeah, eyes. Yeah. Steve has since discovered that the man is married and lives in a house with a well-tended and no doubt well-fertilised garden, which is quite close to the apartment block. Well, he wouldn't poo in his own garden. Well, I don't know. Like, not like this, I'm guessing. Steve wrote on Facebook that the man was a Greenslopes resident, but he was not sharing his name at this stage unless he continues to do it. Oh, yeah. One commenter said, Oh, well, hopefully... Someone, either friend, acquaintance, or even his employer, will recognise him. I can see no reasonable excuse for his filthy and disgusting behaviour. The fact that he has done this on numerous occasions makes it even worse. Damn straight. Steve has distributed the poster in a local letter drop to houses in the area, including the one where the poo jogger lives. Good. <laughs> I hope one of his kids found it. He said that the man ran past on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, but did not stop to pinch off a loaf on the path every single time. Well, that's good. Apparently, he ran straight past last Monday. A Facebook user said that he hoped the photograph would shame the police to take it seriously. But it was pointed out that the most the man could be charged with was trespass and be served with a notice. Steve said that he'd been hoping the police would go and question the man, but was now hoping the photo might embarrass him enough to stop him from doing it again. Well, I'd hope so. Uh, what, what, would he, what would his motive be, Tara? He didn't like the people living there? I guess he didn't. I, I don't really know. I can't get inside the mind of a poo jogger. I am not the mind hunter or the alienist. 
Or like Vincent D'Onofrio in whichever one of those you're, CSI you're shows. You've got to tilt your head to the side when, yeah, you, when well, you look at the poo. When I, when I analyse the poo jogger. That's right. I, I really I really couldn't tell you, I, man. You know, I'm trying to see it from his side. Maybe he just has like um, uh, a medical condition. You wouldn't go to the exact same place all the time if you had no. a medical condition and you lived a few doors down. Yeah, you'd just go home, wouldn't you? You're you right. would totally go home. Yeah, I'm not on this guy's side, by the Me way. Me either. I, I, think, I'm I actually, think it's horrible behaviour. I'm pretty happy that I can't relate to this story. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't doesn't hurt my feelings at I, all. I like that they caught him red-handed or red-assed. They caught him poo-handed. Poo-handed. What well, a, what a story. <laughs> what a story, Tara. Oh, you know what when I when I was reading it online, I was looking at the news yesterday and that came up and I was like, "Oh, thank you, sweet heavenly everything." So good when I just get handed one of these Aussie yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes hot, I have to go searching. Hot damn diggity fuck. Hot damn diggity fuck is exactly what I said to myself when yeah. it happened. <laughs> Well, I guess that's uh, that brings us to the end, really, isn't it? So thanks for listening and thanks to our patrons. And if you would like to support us, visit our website. If you just want to buy us a drink, there's a PayPal donate button there too. Oh, someone bought us a drink this week. They did. Yeah, the lovely Judith Kaufman. Thank you so much for that. And, yeah, we had a, another donation last week uh, for, for Barney's birthday. Oh, I didn't notice that. Who yeah. was that from? Oh. Oh, damn, dude. Do you oh, want... no, we, I think we thanked them last week. Oh, okay, but it was for your birthday. Yeah. That's so sweet. But there was actually a lot of messages up for my birthday, and that was really nice. That's, yeah. I, was, I, was, um, I felt very loved. You it was felt nice. the love? Thank oh, you. Thank yeah. you, everybody. Our fam bam are wonderful. They are. I've been Barney Black. And I've been Tara Saraban. And we just did some bloody murder. Please don't forget to review us on iTunes. And of course, rate and subscribe. It really helps us. Join our Facebook group, Bloody Murder Podcast. And follow us on Twitter and Snapchat and Insta. All the stuff. Check out our website, bloodymurderpodcast.com for news, galleries, more episodes and merchandise. Thanks for listening and we'll be back next week. Goodbye and adios. And keep kicking against the pricks. Keep kicking against the growing tails and laying tails. Keep kicking against the poo joggers. And the pigeon of the loaf. Yeah, actually, he was probably the nicest person we talked about in this episode when we're thinking about perpetrators. Yeah, I mean, the poo right. jogger was the least of everyone's worries. Hot yeah. oh, damn diggity fuck. Yeah. That's my answer to everything. That right? is a good answer. Weren't you telling a story earlier that we kind of Oh, tell me about that dream. You should tell people about the dream you had the other night about tray trees. Oh, yeah. I had this dream that my girlfriend ran over my parrot <laughs> on her bicycle and she was wearing a Nazi uniform and she had a long red beard. Yep, and he didn't even have a parrot. And it was before he researched this episode. So the parrot didn't go. They had, they had the intercom on in the room and they kept lying that it wasn't on and they were using sonic pressure on my head since nineteen ninety. I've got two toy parrots in the house. One's called Great, Greedy Guts. Great Great Greedy uh-huh. Guts. And the other, and the other one's really, really big and his name's Huge Greedy Guts. Great Greedy Guts. That's huge from Tintin. Oh, I didn't realise that's where it's from because yeah, I'm not a nerd. The original uh nineteen eighties <laughs> cartoon of Tintin. My kids love it. Excellent. What else have we got? Yeah, I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Fuck you very much. Fuck you very much. <laughs> there were lots of wanking noises on the last episode from oh, you going. I still haven't. Oh, well, you know, it's what I do I had best. to take out a few. Ah, oh, damn gotta, it. You, that was my best work, you, motherfucker. You really, it was really a jam. It was kind of like you'd, you'd, sing, you'd sing a verse and then you'd do the chorus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you love that shit, don't you? <laughs> I really do. <laughs> Wanker. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.